Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy. Father, we sang those words. We want to behold our God, and you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Your glory is matchless. You are majestic. You sit enthroned above the cherubim. You are high and lifted up above the world, above the heavens. The heavens are your throne. The earth is your footstool. And what are we? What is man that you are mindful of us? And yet you've set your love upon us. You've given us your son. You've given us your word. You've communicated with us. You've lavished us more and more with your truth and your light and your presence. Oh God, may we respond. May we respond, Lord, as we should. May we receive your holy word and take it seriously. May we treasure your truth. May we see your face this morning, Lord. Please give us something that we have not been given before. Draw us closer. Do something unique and supernatural in us, Lord. We are desperate for you as people in a dry and weary land that thirst for water. We are thirsty for you, O God, as the deer pants for streams of living water. So my soul thirsts for God. Quench our thirst this morning, Lord. Please do this for your people. Do this for your son. By the power of your spirit, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we were all uh, confronted with the sobering question, are you really obedient to the Lord of Lords? And we observed the tragic fall of Saul in 1 Samuel 15. And as you thought about your life and I thought about mine, as you thought about your profession of faith and I thought about mine, we had to answer that question honestly. And for some of you, it was encouraging. You could look over the course of the year and say, though not perfect, the direction of my life and the pattern of my life was faithful and consistent obedience. And for others, well, you were convicted and cut to the heart with the sad truth that, no, I'm not very obedient. In fact, I might even be walking close to that line of no return. And so it was a message that stirred us up. And, and as you think about the year 2021 that's in the rearview mirror, and whether you see regret, shame, or even a, not as obedient and not as righteous and not as faithful as you want to be, how do we avoid repeating the errors of last year? God has given us a brand new year. What mercy. What is the key? I mean, do you realize that it's not unlikely that this will be the last year for some of us? That's not an impossibility. 
this may be the final year that you have on this earth. And if so, if 2022 is it, and then eternity, how do you want to spend this year? I mean, do you want another calendar filled with regret and disappointment? Or don't you want a year filled with victory and worship and holiness? I mean, don't, aren't you sick of the, the coasting and the eh, just good enough? Don't you want to soar on the heights and reach the heights and ascend the hill of the Lord? Don't you want to get as close as humanly possible to the throne of grace and behold his face you read about these things, you hear about these things, but don't you want it for yourself? Isn't this the year? I mean, isn't it finally time to say en enough with the casual and, 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 and the just good enough Christianity? I want all that the Lord has in store. And isn't this the perfect time to begin? I, mean, I, I want that. And I believe you do too. You're ready to give it all for him, to live every moment for him. We were talking about New Year's resolutions, and there is a reality, again, nothing wrong with it, but there's a reality that people start them, and then what happens? It falls off. And, and, and I wanted to know why. What, why don't people continue? And what is it that makes people continue? And I found a common reality. The people who continue have been convinced of something. They have been impacted by the weightiness of something so much so that they say, I will never go back to that. And I will only go forward in this. There is a never... Uh, never-changing truth that hits them. Of course, I'm talking about Christians. So before we dive into where we're going to look at, I want to give you some glorious truth so that we don't just have an emotional uh, response to things, but that we would be utterly convinced and gloriously changed because of the truth of some things. I want to give you two, three truths as a foundation, as a launch pad, as a trampoline to bring us upward. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, because of everything that you just heard, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, talking about life, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Do you hear that language there? A manner worthy of what? The calling with which you've been called. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? It's, it's that God has called us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the fact that God called you out of sin. Think of this world. Think of all the people that you know that are still lost. And God called you. He called you out. You didn't deserve to be called. It wasn't because you were better than anyone else. In fact, as Paul would say, the chief of sinners. We were the worst of the worst. We weren't the smartest. We weren't the brightest. We weren't the most noble. No, we were in the pit of disgusting wickedness. And in mercy, he called you out. And that glorious truth that he called you out, Paul is convinced that's enough to urge you to live differently because you've been called. Isn't that important enough? Isn't that massive enough? He called you because he wanted you, because he chose you, he desired you. Secondly, here's this language. You don't have to turn there. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your life be worthy of the calling for which you've been called. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Think of that. I'm trying to convince you to resolve to spend this year, and myself too, differently than you've spent any other year. And in order to do that, we need something solid to stand on, something impressive to behold. For when we get weak and tempted to go back, we will say, no, I've been called. And that's something that should change the way I live. And he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Did you spend last year letting your manner of life proclaim the value of the gospel of Christ? And what makes the gospel gospel? What makes the good news good news? Is it not that God has given to us his son? It isn't that the whole thing. He who did not, what? spare his own son. But what did he do? He gave him up for us all. So God has given us his son, and he crushed his son. He poured out his wrath on his son. His son was born in a body next to piles of manure, and animals, so that you could know God and be forgiven, so that you could know grace and mercy, so that you could be born again. The gospel of Christ, the good news, all that Jesus went through, all that Jesus did, all that he suffered, the shame, the spit dripping from his face, all of it for you. 
Paul was convinced that that truth, the gospel of Christ, was enough to urge you and I to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of that. Isn't the blood of Christ worthy enough to change everything about us? And then lastly, and perhaps I think most convincing, comes from Colossians 1.19, uh, sorry, 1.9, and says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wis- spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here it is. <laughs> so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. You see, this isn't, the first was the calling. God called you. That's what he did. The gospel of Christ. Again, this is what God has done. But here in Colossians, he says, not what God has done, but just who he is. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, his attributes, who he is. Live in a way that displays how valuable God is to you. Children, if your parents say, we're going to stop by the store, Target, Walmart, whatever, the mall, and you go in the store and you see something you like, how do you know how much it costs? If you see a bike that you want, how do you know how much it is? Price tag, right? There's a tag on it. Those shoes, I know how much it is because there's a price tag. Somebody determines the value of an item and puts a a price on it. Says, this is how much this is worth. Well, your life is supposed to be a price tag to say how much the Lord is worth to you. How valuable he is to you and me. Therefore, because of the calling in which you've been called, because of the gospel of Christ, and because of the very Lord himself, I urge you, as I urge myself, to spend this year, however much time we have left, differently than you ever have, to walk in a manner worthy because of the beauty and infinite worthiness of Yahweh himself. Resolve to live like you've never lived before. And you may say, okay, I'm convinced. Those are good reasons, but how? Right? How? And here we go to our text for this morning. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 through 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it 
rather, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. The context of this passage is really amazing. Before the fall of Saul, the Lord provided help to keep him from that. The context of what you just read is instruction for the king so that he would not fall away, so that he wouldn't end up like Saul did or even like Solomon did. These were instructions to keep the king of Israel close to the Lord, humble, wise, and holy. And within these verses is the key to your own sanctification as well. What did Isaiah 9 say about Christ? What shall he be called? Wonderful what? Counselor. And within these verses are held the divine counsel of the wonderful Son of God himself. Again, the context was for the kings, but the truth is for us all. As the scripture says, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if, if you were, I'm sure you were, as you were paying attention to this section, the thing that is jumping out at you is the importance of the word of God, called the law of God, the law of God, the statutes, commandments, all that just means the Bible. It means the word. And that's the, that's the focus here. And I'm giving you my intention. I want to stir you up to be in your Bibles like you've never been before. And I believe, I'm utterly convinced that this is the key, or at least one of the keys, to helping you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, the gospel of Christ, and the Lord himself. Destruction is all around us, but I believe that this passage gives us detours to prevent destruction And that is what I've called this message, the detours to prevent destruction. We're going to look at these glorious truths, that the Bible must be personally known. The Bible must be habitually read. The Bible must be fearfully obeyed. And the Bible will produce glorious wonders. The first detour, the Bible must be personally known. Look at verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. Now, this is amazing. Uh, And today, all of us have our own copy of the Bible. In fact, Most of you probably have multiple copies. Maybe you even have on your phone different languages, different translations. There are children's Bibles. There are study Bibles, parallel Bibles. I have a Bible that my mother gave me that has 
four different translations all in one. It's amazing how many Bibles we have. John MacArthur said in his house, he has a Bible in every room because he never wants the Word of God to be out of reach. It's great. But with all the Bibles around us, we can forget the way things used to be. Why did the king need to make his own personal copy of the word of God? And that is what he is instructed to do. He is to make a copy of the law, which is the first five books, right? He's to make a copy of the word of God for himself by hand because there were no copies of the Bible at that time. If you wanted to read the Bible, if you wanted to know what the word of God said, you know what you had to do? We get actually a, a narrative of this from the life of Jesus. Here's Luke 4, 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And notice what he did. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. There were scrolls of the Bible that were preserved in a synagogue or in the temple. So if you wanted to read, you had to go to these places, and if you fit a certain category, you could actually hold them, unscroll them, read them, but you had to give them back. The king was commanded to make his own copy for himself. That's what it says, for, for himself, right? You see that? He shall write for himself. This was for him. And notice the location of this activity as he does what? Sits on his throne. The, the throne, the place where he would feel the most important. The place where the very height of his power, when he's surrounded by all his wealth, here are attendants, people bowing, generals ready, hand and foot to do his bidding. Here is where pride can come in. But it's also where the weight of the throne could be upon him. Remember Solomon's statements in 1 Kings 3, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? You see that? The throne could be the place where you feel the most important, the most powerful, the most, ah, I'm up there. Or it could be the place where you feel the weakest, where you feel the most underweight, under pressure. I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to say, how to handle this. There's so much responsibility upon me, and I don't know what to do. I don't want to fail. So whether at the height of your pride or the depths 
of your weakness, the remedy is the same. He needed to write his own copy of the Bible. But why? I mean, can you see the instruction for your own soul? Isn't it true that you can become distracted by all the glitz and glamour of this world and start to think more highly of yourself than you ought to? Isn't it true that you can get distracted by life and the pursuit of, of, of excellence and men, we get caught up striving for greatness and sisters, you struggle with the desire for self-importance and you feel it inside And we forget that the world is passing away. You forget that everything that you see is going to burn. And the word of God going deep into it brings us back to reality. Have you ever fought about something and you were so angry about it and then you try to remember, why was I angry? And you don't remember? That's signs that we get distracted with this world and this stuff and lose sight of the world to come. We think it's so important, so meaningful in the moment because we lose sight of eternal perspective. He was to do it as he sat on his throne. Pride can creep in. But the truth is that you also feel weak, don't you? I mean, what pressure is upon you right now? All the husbands in the room. Your wife needs you to love her like Christ loved the church. And you can feel like, Lord, how? Sisters, I know you may think, oh, my husband is strong and mighty and he looks all this. But he is weak and he needs your help to respect and submit to him. Your children are relying on you. Your family is counting on you. You may be the only Christian in your entire community, in your family, and you feel the weight of it. Young believers, I know the pressure is put upon you. You're supposed to have the wisdom of Solomon and the holiness of Paul, and you're still a child, and you feel like, how can I possibly do this? So whether you're up or down, the instruction is the same Diving into the word of God is helpful. It's instructive. When you don't know where to go, the word of God is a lighthouse. But again, he's copying it. What what, what is the application there? Well, notice he was not told to have a scribe do this for him. There were scribes all around. He didn't say assign a scribe. He was supposed to write it out. Why not just use the copy that's already made? Why did he need to do this, and what can we learn from this? Well, think about what would have happened by him consistently, word for word, line for line, verse for verse, copying this. What would that produce in him? There is a Growing trend in our world that has never happened before. People are getting richer quicker than ever. One TikTok video and they're millionaires almost literally overnight. One YouTube short and they're literally becoming millionaires, multi-millionaires overnight. And if you watch these people who go from rags to riches over a short period of time, you see their spending habits. They're buying... $100,000 watches and million-dollar homes, and they're just burning through their money like that. Why? Because they didn't really work for it. 
contrast that to the mom and pop right, business that saved every penny and sweat and blood and they worked their fingers to the bone and they w- went up against all these difficulties and these hardships and little by little through wisdom and counsel and prayer and suffering, they built up their income to where now they are prosperous. And how do they spend money? They're not buying $300,000 watches. No, they're buying things like real estate to leave it to their children's children. Why? Because through hard work, you appreciate things much differently than when you're just given something. And the same is true. When this king had to do the hard work of writing out the Bible, he was forced to memorize it, to meditate upon it, to think upon it. And the instruction here for you and I is the hard work with the Bible. Are you doing any kind of actual hard work when it comes to the word of God? Do you memorize scripture? Do you meditate upon scripture? Do you think upon it? Do you ever pick up a commentary or a Bible dictionary to better understand it? If you desire to do any of these things, it takes work. To copy the word of God by hand takes work. He had to do it without a computer. There was no electricity. He had to do it without whiteout. Imagine the time and effort he put into this. Do you ever give this kind of dedication to the word of God? Now, some people go deep. When it comes to sports, movies, health, video games, Christians can tell you all the deep things about so many different topics, and that's good that you know these different things. You can, you know, you can say, well, look, I've studied this, and I've looked into this, and I meditated on that, and they can lay out all the depths of this particular topic and this particular subject, and they have books and papers and videos they watch and all this stuff, but when it comes to knowing the Word of God, Is it basic? Is it just surface? Do you ever go deep? Do you ever do the work, the hard work of diving in, going deep to know the word? Or do you only take the easy way? How disobedient were you last year And then I would ask the question, how much work did you put into knowing the word of God? And I believe there's a direct connection. In fact, scripture would say that. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By guarding it according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's a direct connection to getting into the word, memorizing it, meditating it, thinking upon it, really going through the motions to understand what it says and what it means by what it says, and that getting into you and affecting the way you live. Am I saying the more knowledge you have, the holier you'll be? No. No, not at all. But diving into the word of God is more than just diving into information, right? 
because the Word of God is more than just information. What I'm talking about is diving into the Word of God because the Word of God reveals God. The Word of God reveals who God is to you. He shows you Himself in His Word. The deeper you get into His Word, the deeper you get into knowing Him. That's the connection. It's not just stuff. It's not just facts. It's not just information and history. This is so that you can know God. Remember what Jesus said in John 5.39? He said, you search what? The Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. The point of searching scripture, studying, exploring, uncovering the precious gems found inside is to see Jesus Christ better, is to behold the face of God better, to learn who he is. Are you doing this? First, the Bible must be personally known. The Levites couldn't do it for the king. Your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your parents, your children, your friend, your pastor cannot do it for you. You must know the word for yourself. This brings us to the second detour to prevent destruction. And it shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life. The Bible must be habitually read. So simple. So straightforward. Read in it all the days of his life. And yet so easy to forget. The king was commanded to keep this copy of the word of God with him at all times. It shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Question, how often was he supposed to read in it? Answer, all the days of his life. Children, how often is that? Every single day. Yeah. Why does God command him to read every day? The Christian isn't commanded to fast every day or even evangelize every day. Not to give money every day. There are things that the Christian is to do from time to time. We don't have just one week-long church meeting, right? Do not forsake uh, the assembling together, which is neglect the assembling together, which is the habit of some. Well, we, we, we meet once a week. So why read the Bible every day? Why do you exist? Do you know why you exist? Because you were created to glorify God. What does that mean? You were made to show the beauty of God. Glory means weight. You were made to show the weightiness, the beauty, the value of who God is. You were made to show how important God is above everything and everyone else. That's why you exist. You were created to be a commercial for the attributes of God. To know him, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. But here's the question, how can you glorify God if you don't know who he is? How can you worship him if you don't know what worship means or what 
he restricts regarding worship. Where are you going to learn about God? Are you going to learn about God from Fox News? No, right? Are you going to learn about God from the culture or from the media? Talk radio isn't going to teach you. Your favorite celebrity isn't going to teach you. And listen, so many Christian leaders are going woke these days. There was a time when names like Matt Chandler, David Platt, Francis Chan, Mark Dever, Ligon Duncan, Tabidi Anyamweli were all solid and trusted names, no longer. Titles are not enough. Calling someone or something reformed Calvinist is not enough. That's not enough to be saved. What is happening? The gospel coalition is not a trustworthy source any longer. And you have to ask the question, what is happening? How do you know who to trust? How do you know what is good? How do you know what is true? We must be in our Bibles. When things all around you is sinking and sources of of help and solid truth are now saying things that are utterly disturbing, what do you do? You cannot rely on any man to do that for you. You cannot rely on me to do that for you. You cannot rely on any man. You must know the word of God for yourself to discern between truth and error, between right and wrong, between what God loves and what God hates. Because anybody can start saying things that are very strange some of you have shed tears over these facts. Why does God want you to read the Bible every day? So that you can know the truth, so that you can know him better, so that you can glorify him. The privilege is yours to open your Bible and read, not to study Words, not to prepare lessons, not to evangelize or win an argument. The reason you read your Bible every single day without fail is because you find God in the scriptures and you were made to know him. And because he saved you, you desire to know him and you want to walk in the light and in the truth in a world where people are all around us shifting. Do you want to know the God who made you? Read your Bible. Do you want to walk before him carefully? Read your Bible. Do you grow tired of living a weak, defeated, Americanized Christian life? Read your Bible. Do you want to stay doctrinally sound and theologically safe? Read your Bible. Read it prayerfully, but you must read it. Read it with faith, but you must read it. Read it alone, read it with others, read it in the morning or read at night, but read your Bibles, brothers and sisters. Think of these passages that we are so familiar with. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And what does he do? He meditates on it. No way you can meditate 
on what you're not reading. No way you can meditate upon that which you're not even exposed to. The only way to meditate upon the word is if you're reading the word. Psalm 119, 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The only way the psalmist could say that is my meditation day and night is if it's going from his eyes into his mind, into his heart, and he's chewing upon it. Think of the manna. Exodus 16. Remember what happened, right? The Lord in his kindness, he was feeding the people manna, and they were given instructions. Exodus 16, 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. So don't try to save from yesterday for tomorrow. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. What is the instruction for us with the manna? That is how we are supposed to be treating the word of God. Morning by morning, day by day. Children, are any of you hungry right now? Show of hands, how many of you are hungry? So some of your parents actually bring snacks. People are kind enough to bring cakes and things. Why? Because it's a long day. But imagine if you told your father, your mother, Mommy, Daddy, I'm hungry. And they said, you ate last week. Yeah, you'd be like, um, I, with all respect, I need to eat every day. And not just once a day. Would, you all, would any of you be satisfied to eat once a day? We got one taker. All right, remember that, parents. <laughs> At least three times a day. In the film, Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite movies, series, there's a conversation between Aragorn and Mary. I love this. They're on their, their quest, and uh, they want to stop to eat. And Aragorn says, gentlemen, we, we do not stop till nightfall. And Pippin says, what about breakfast? And Aragorn says, you already had it. And of course, the famous verse, what does he say? We've had one, yes, but what about second breakfast? Aragorn turns and walks away. Mary says, I don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. Pippin, what about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? Mary, I wouldn't count on it. Oh, that we would be like these hobbits. <laughs> that it wouldn't be this thing of, you read your Bible today, right? Oh, yeah, I've already eaten. I've already had my biblical breakfast. What about second breakfast? They loved food and weren't satisfied with one meal a day, that we would love God more than they loved food, and we would not be content with a little nibble here, and then I never touch it again until the next day, that it wouldn't be this obligation, oh, I have to read my Bible. It's the, no, I get to behold God. I get to see him and hear him. I get to know him better and deeper, the hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a desire to see his face. 
that we would long for second breakfast. That you would think of the body of Christ and the need to be filled with the word so that you could help feed others. This is a good time to be like the leech. The leech has two daughters crying what? Give, give, because they're never satisfied. This is a good time to be like the leech. Oh, I just want to eat more and more and more. And listen, I know we're busy. I know time is so limited. But look at the kindness of God. There are audio Bibles. You can listen to it. There are scripture songs. Our sister writes some of them. You can sing the Bible. There are actually Bible movies, like the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, where the whole film is just the Bible being acted out verse by verse. You can watch the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. You can sing the Bible. You can watch the Bible. You can read the Bible. We really have no excuse. Read it every day, not out of an obligation, but out of a joyous privilege to hear the voice and heart of the God who made you. What excuse do we have? And that's to say nothing of the history of blood that has been shed so that you and I can actually have a copy of the Bible. That's to say nothing of these tribes that have one book of the Bible that they share as a village and they each take turns doing exactly what the king was commanded to do, copying it out. And they say, okay, I'm done with my page. Now it's your turn. And they copy it. Now it's your turn. And they hold it tight and they've read it until it's falling apart in their hands and they memorize it because it's so precious to them. I sent a, a video sometime, maybe a couple of years ago, from China. And this is the description. A group of Christians in China were surrounding a suitcase. The suitcase was opened, and they all, like starving children, grabbed for what was inside. What was inside? The Bible and their language. And they were so happy to finally have the word of God in their language. And they held it tight and they said, this is what we needed most. They are under the communistic boot. They are being imprisoned and tortured. They're being ripped from their families. And in their minds, the most important thing that they could have was the word of the living God in their own tongue. And we have Bibles all over the place and we leave them on the shelves. We don't read them. We make excuses. Brothers and sisters, the privilege is yours. You can know God. And it keeps you from destruction. You don't have to travel to the synagogue like Jesus. You don't have to uh, walk miles through a village or a jungle. No, you don't even have to walk across the room. All you have to do is turn on your phone. The Bible must be fearfully obeyed. 
and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. It's great to study the Bible. Even if you produced Bibles, do you know who the number one producer of Bibles is? Harper Collins Publishing. They own Thomas Nelson. They own Zondervan. They make a living making Bibles, and yet that is an ungodly, lost, unregenerate company. It's not enough to just make Bibles. It's not even enough to read Bibles. You search the Scriptures. If we're not obeying what we're reading, if we're not doing what He said, what did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. It's not enough to know the word if we don't do what we know. This is not perfectionism. This is not legalism. Not at all. This is Christianity. This is what God produces in us. Parents, if your children listened to you, repeated what you said, and taught the rest of their siblings exactly what you said, but didn't follow it, would any of you be pleased? No. You say, in fact, the very fact that you heard what I said and could repeat it, you're all the more accountable to do it. And likewise, it is out of love that our God calls us to obey him. Repentance is the most loving thing that you can think of. Repentance is like a child eating out of the dump when there is a feast over here and saying, child, come away from that trash and eat this lavish banquet. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. Repentance is calling you away from that which leads to destruction to that which brings eternal joy, to that which draws you closer to the lover of your soul, to that which brightens your eyes and fills your heart with joy and meaning and purpose. It is love to turn and follow. The Bible must be fearfully obeyed. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you have built for me, that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. You understand what that's saying? The heavens and the earth are filled with amazing beauty. You ever just look at a thunderstorm? It's fantastic, isn't it? Stood before an enormous mountain. Jason was telling me just last night, the other night, that he would sit on the beach in Corpus looking at the ocean and the fact that God set the limitations of it and just worship God. Look at this, the ocean, wow. 
Or you look through a telescope and you see the stars and you see asteroids and meteorites, or you look through a microscope and you see the, 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 the germs and cells and bacteria moving. The brilliant mind of God and all that he's made truly is worthy to worship him for. And it's impressive and it's amazing. But you see what this is saying? What is most impressive to God, if you will, what stands out to him is not the stars, it's not the planets, it's not the oceans or the blizzards, it's not animals or dinosaurs or cells. No, it's the man or woman or child that trembles at his word. Is that you? That fearfully seeks to walk according to his word. Christian, do you tremble at his word? In the last 365 days, how many times did you tremble at the word of God? Have you ever trembled before his word? He deserves to be obeyed. He deserves to be followed because he's worthy. And to study the word and read it daily is so that you will walk in the fear of the Lord. Do you speak carefully because he's listening? Do you walk carefully because he's watching? Do you read the Bible and study the Bible to show yourself approved because you don't want to sin against him? Because you want to honor him? Because you want to love him? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. That's the whole purpose of all this reading and all this studying, that you may learn to fear the Lord. How? How do you fear the Lord? Well, you tremble, but what does that trembling mean? It's not just walking around constantly shaking as though you have some type of illness. No, that trembling, that fear is obedience. Fear the Lord his God, how? By keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. What does the fear of the Lord look like? Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What is that talking about? The word. Psalm 34.11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. Notice how it's obedience. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Psalm 110, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You can do this study. The fear of the Lord is directly connected to walking in obedience to the Lord. 
That's why Romans 3 says, there is no fear of God in their eyes. Because they don't walk in the obedience of the Lord. They don't fear Him because if they feared Him, they would respect Him. They would honor Him. And they don't. The fear of the Lord is knowing who God is. And how do you know who God is? You read the Word. And out of the terror of falling into his hands, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we stay far away from those things that bring his wrath. You run very close to the cross of Christ, to the throne of grace, to the path of righteousness, the narrow path that leads to life where there are few on it and it's hard. You stay away from that way. You draw closer to him. You turn your eyes upon Jesus and look into his wonderful face. That is the fear of the Lord. That is the fear of the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Are you reading his word and obeying what you read because of the grace of God to you? Because of the cross of Christ? Again, this isn't trying to be justified by works. This isn't checking a list of do's and don'ts. No, this is because Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's because Jesus Christ, the glory of God, was crushed for you. Because you were forgiven by his blood, because you've been chosen, because you've been adopted, because you've been redeemed, because you've been filled with the Spirit, because you have been given gifts, because you are loved and adored and welcomed, and because of all of this truth, you've been called the gospel of Christ, the very person of God. Therefore, we go forward by the mercies of God that we have been shown. We walk in the fear of the Lord by obeying him because we are convinced. Convinced he is worthy. Brothers and sisters, it's very important to understand that we don't do this by ourselves. Now, there's a part of this where we do it by ourselves. You and I are responsible for our own soul before God. But the way that the Bible talks about the church is that this is a body. This is a group effort, and I need you, and you need me. We need one another. We need one another. So, quick examples. Let's say, for example, I'm not handling money well. I'm greedy, not a giver, um, thinking about myself. I'm I'm a thief, ultimately, right? What does the fear of the Lord look like here? Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So it's not just, I feel bad about stealing, I'm going to work hard, and that's it. No, it's, I feel bad about stealing because the Lord Jesus Christ died to pay for sins like that. Stealing results in eternal destruction, so I'm going to repent by working hard, but I'm not just going to work hard for me, my four, no more. I'm going to work hard so that my family is provided for, but also so that I have enough to share with others. There's a community mindset when it comes to obedience and walking in the fear of the Lord. The same is true when it comes to things like self-control, Titus 2. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Urge, strong word. It has to do with convincing, pleading with. There's someone spending time with these young men, giving them reasons why they should be self-controlled. What if you're not stewarding your marriage or your children well? 
Or what if you are doing really well with it? Titus 2, very familiar passage. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. But see, it doesn't just stop with them. That's good that you're that way. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revived. You see the community aspect. There's a direct response. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord by being in the Bible, but I don't just want this to be for me. I realize there are needs in the body. And so some of you are that older woman. Some of you are the older men. Some of you have these skills, this knowledge. God has given you great victory in these areas for his glory, and then you turn around and say, now how can I grab out my hand and bring along another so that we can all go forward to the maturity of Christ-likeness together? Rather than, I've sinned, I need to repent, I'm in this by myself, and we're all just marching alone. This is a family. This is a body. And we're to do this together. And lastly, the Bible will produce glorious wonders. And I've kind of got ahead of myself, but I'll just read this. It really is amazing. Verse 18, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and by doing them, and doing them, and here's the result, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So there's humility. How does that happen? Because when you read the word of God and really study it, what do you see? You see who God is, and who else do you see? You see who you are. And when you see who God is, and his beauty, his perfection, his wisdom, his patience, his kindness, the glory of God. And then you see yourself and you say, whoa, the Bible talks about me that I am weak and I am frail and I am but a vapor and I am in constant need of mercy and in constant need of grace and I am so fragile. How could I dare look down upon another? When God is so great and I am so low, who am I to stand above? This was the king who sits on the throne. How much more should you and I, as sons and daughters of the king, not look down upon one another? That humility of heart only comes from being in the Bible regularly. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment. This is another benefit. Not only do you see God, you see yourself, and you walk in humility, but you see Christ And according to 2 Corinthians 3.15, this is glorious. What happens when you behold Christ? 2 Corinthians 3.15-18, through Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. When you spend time gazing upon Christ, gazing upon the face of God, being helped by the Spirit of God in the Word, what happens to you? You are transformed. You begin to look like who you spend time with. Doesn't the, doesn't the Scripture say, bad company does what to good character? So then is it not true that good company helps And there is no better company to keep than the Lord of Lords himself. Spend time in his word. Gaze upon Christ and watch yourself change. Watch yourself become more and more like Jesus. It should be said, and I'll end with this, it should be said, everybody will know that you haven't been in your Bible because you're different. And everyone should tell when you've been in your Bible because you're different. So for this year, brothers and sisters, on top of everything else that you're seeking to do for the Lord as a church, may we be people of the Word. May we study it. May we keep it. May we read it. May we obey it. May we pray it. May we sing it. May we cling to it. May we apply it. And may we help one another as we go forward for the sake of Jesus. Father, thank you so much that you've given us your holy word. Thank you that you have written to us. You've communicated with us. And would you please forgive us for how we have not treasured your word as it deserves to be treasured. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word is forever. Help us, Lord, to really see the value of your holy scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord be with you.